You're listening to Mammal Watching with Charles Foley and John Hall. You can find other episodes at mammalwatching.com slash podcast. Welcome to the Mammal Watching podcast with me, Charles Foley in Minneapolis. And me, John Hall in New York. How are you, John? I am okay, Charles. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you. Yes, indeed. So I guess this is the time of the year where you tally up your final mammal list uh, for 2022. So um, can you share with us where, where you're at with that? <laughs> how, how on earth did you guess that, Charles? Yes, I am completing my species seed in 22 spreadsheet as we speak. Um, it's been a good year. Uh, you and I got the year off to a flying start with our trip to North Carolina for red wolves and golden mice. And uh, that took me to 1999 mammals. And I saw my lynx in Romania. It was number 2000. And I'm finishing the year on about 2080, maybe 2082, depending on a couple of a couple of still to be identified bats in Madagascar. So, yeah, 85 or so species this year, which was a, a bumper year. Wow, that is great. Um, yeah. Yes, the that, that was a magnificent trip to to North Carolina with uh, Todd Pusser. Um and seeing the, the red wolf, the red wolf and the golden mouse, yeah. wonderful animals. Um, I had a superb lynx sighting this year up in the, the Gunflint Trail, northern Minneapolis. Of course you did, yeah. Yeah, with my daughter, we we followed a lynx uh, from about uh, for an hour and a half during the day and watched it hunting, etc. Yeah. So that was that was fantastic, absolutely wonderful. Um, Didn't that and... get picked up by the press as well? I saw that one of um, Sierra's pictures was in the the Min- the Minneapolis newspapers. That's right. Yes, the Star Tribune published wow. one of uh, her photographs of of the Lynx. So, so that was really nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was that that was great sighting. And uh, I also added for me some magnificent animals: the uh, American martin, which is one that I want to see for a long time, and also a couple of great species in in Ecuador: the spectacled bear and the yeah. mountain tapir. So, it's it's been a really good year for me too. Yeah, fantastic. Let's hope 2023 will be as good for us both. Yes, indeed. Yes, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So for this holiday special, we're talking about mammal watching with the uninitiated, or at least with people who don't identify themselves to be mammal watchers, or perhaps simply people who didn't know quite what they were getting into when they went on a trip. Um, And we'll be talking to several different people. First, my wife, Amber. Then Ian Thompson, who you'll know from his trip reports and his partner, Tracy Watchhurst, and their kids, Ben and Josie, uh, from Canada, about some of the family trips they've taken. And finally, we'll be chatting with Stephen Arthur, Cheryl Antonucci's partner. So our first guest today is Amber Melhouse. And Amber is in the invidious position of being married to the world's foremost mammal watcher, which I suspect comes with many, many pros and maybe possibly one or two cons. Um, Anyway, that's just me speculating out loud. But Amber, welcome (laughs) to the podcast. It's great to finally have you here. Well, thank you very much. I remember when this podcast was just a a twinkle in in your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to say, hi, Amber. I am actually sitting in a separate room for my own safety. Um, but we'll see what we'll see what happens. <laughs> Let's start first of all with just a little bit about your background, because you were, I think it's fair to say, not a mammal watcher um, growing up. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a fair fair description. Um, to this day, I've never seen a bear. Uh, there are lots of basic things I've I've never seen. I was just a, a normie. <laughs> right. Right. And so you you marry John, um, and he. What what was the first trip you ever did together? And I, I just want to start off by saying you skipped a little bit there. I did marry John, but before that, he described himself as a quote unquote. I'm doing air quotes. Wildlife enthusiast. So <laughs> <laughs> our first trip was to Puerto Rico in 2012. You know, I imagined poolside walks on the beaches, you know, that type of thing, which we kind of did. Um, but John was definitely preoccupied with the 
the mammal portion of the trip, which I had, you know, never been on before. So we trekked through, we drove precariously with two young college students, fat researchers, just before dusk, got into a completely empty forest, like down a really treacherous hill. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? And, you know, John said, well, they're, 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 there will be some bats and uh, we're just gonna see, we're gonna use a net to catch them. And I was imagining a butterfly net. I, I didn't know anything. And so dusk comes along and um, the boys had set up uh, a harp net um, in, front of, um, in front of the cave, which you know I was concerned the bats were gonna get hurt. And they're like, no, no, it's harmless. And so sure enough, come dusk, um, they came out in stages and learned a lot about bats that night, but there must have been over 300,000 of them that had come out of the cave over a period of, I would say about, I would say three or four hours. Hmm. And I had never seen or in particular heard anything like that. And it was so beautiful. Um, just the sound of all those bats coming out in that that breeze and they just whisk by you and they're never going to hit you. Yeah. But first, that was a great first experience for mammal watching. Mm -hmm. Also rappelling down into, um, I think it was a different cave and I was the first one to rappel down and it was just like, you know, a thin piece of rope to college kids saying, go ahead, just like climb down. <laughs> and I, I did. I was the first one down. And John told me later on, he said he was about to offer to let me wait in the car. And uh, I realized he didn't know as much as I didn't know what I'd gotten into. He didn't know <laughs> that I had this sense of adventure. <laughs> so it worked out. <laughs> so I'm guessing probably at, at about the repelling point was when you started to realize that uh, the definition of enthusiast was a fairly broad one at least in John's view. <laughs> I, yeah, I would, I would say it started to dawn on me, wow, this, this guy really likes life off the beaten path. Okay. I believe in under-promising and over-delivering in my definition of enthusiasm. But I have to say that the moment Amber went down that rope into that cave full of guano and was wading around, but actually enjoying it, I had big love hearts in my eyes. I was really starstruck. <laughs> <and she's, laughs> that was the moment she was a keeper. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> That the bat guano, huh? It's that sprinkling of gold dust. It takes a special girl to look happy in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about some of your other trips that you've been on with uh, with John. Ones that have been impactful for you. Oh gosh, they've all been impactful in their own way. Um, first one that comes to mind is, I mean, there were so there've been so many. I've seen more countries in the past ten years since knowing John and going on these mammal trips than I have in my all the prior years uh, of living. So it's been an adventure. Uh, one that comes to mind right away, actually, Charles, you were there, um, was Tanzania. And I'd, I'd never been um, to the African continent before. And it was such an adventure and it was such a lifelong dream come true. The first night that we were there, you took us out on on your Land Rover or, or in your Land Rover. And then at one point you just stopped and you put like a, a pad up on top of the vehicle. John and I were up there hanging on and you were slowly driving uh, in the middle of nowhere under this incredible African sky that I'd never seen before. I mean, it's just, I just remember holding on and just thinking this is the coolest thing I've ever done in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> that one stuck out for sure that was a good trip that one um particularly since there was an open bar as well which uh seldom happens on most of my mammal watching <laughs> trips but uh <laughs> you spotted a cheetah didn't you amber that was pretty cool i did yeah, yeah it was a good great sighting yeah because they're not easily seen in that area I'm, I'm assuming that on some of your trips occasionally things must have gone wrong or you must have just found yourself standing there thinking what the heck are we doing over here 
probably like more so you yet. <laughs> yeah, probably more so the latter, because uh, nothing ever goes wrong when John's on a trip. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been I haven't been there for most of the trips where there made where there were major mishaps. I don't know if he's taking extra care when I'm with them or not, but um, <laughs> the uh, the what the heck moment. Yeah, many of those. One of uh, I feel like we need three more hours for this, honestly, because I have so many of just. Like, yeah, no, we don't. That's right okay. Huh? <laughs> we don't need three more. <laughs> well, um, it was in it was in Italy. We were in Tuscany, and I think this was 2013. I'm bringing up early memories because those are the ones where I was re really unaware of what is this, you know, that he does. Why is he so passionate about it? But we had a really lovely dinner. We're driving home and it's like a beautiful moon and it's nice and bright out and it's dark. And we're going back to this, you know, cute little um, farmhouse that we're staying at. Radio's on. And, you know, I'm thinking like, this is, wow, this is really nice. And he's like, I'm just going to stop the car for a moment. And I thought he was going to, you know, go pee or something, bit of a trek back to the farmhouse. Uh, and he, he, gets out of the car, opens the trunk, brings out a huge flashlight that he plugs into the lighter. Um, and he says, can you just hold this <laughs> and point it? I'm in the passenger seat and just point it, you know, straight at this, at this field. Uh, and I was thinking like, if he's gonna pee, this is the weirdest thing I've ever, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was kind of muddy and he goes traipsing out there with his own torch and I just remember listening to the radio looking around being like what am I doing here anyway he came back about 25 minutes later covered in mud up to his knees and uh was a little disappointed because he had not seen what he was looking for I I thought it was a rabbit or a hair that he was looking for. He thinks it was porcupine. I, I don't know. But that was a good example of, okay, this is what's happening. You've traveled on quite a few trips now with John. What is the most excited you've ever seen him um, when he's seen a mammal? What, what one has he just absolutely broken down and uh, screamed hallelujah or wept or something along those lines? Um, I'm going to answer that question in two parts. One, I've never seen him so steaming out the ears as when I saw a flying squirrel in Costa Rica and he didn't. That was a bit of a chilly day. <laughs> <laughs> it, that was actually a pygmy squirrel. Sorry. So. Um, pygmy squirrel. He, he did it. He did see it another time. Um, but most excited... I don't know. It's hard to tell because John gets really quiet when he's seen something like when he's actually seeing it, he's that's it. That's all he can see. I would probably say the, um, the eye eye, um, that we just saw recently in Madagascar. I mean, that was, that was a really special evening hiking up really difficult, you know, slanted Hill and trying to be quiet and waiting for it to come out. But we were all just lying there on our backs at like a 45 degree angle holding ourselves up and waiting for this eye eye to come out and it got dark and it came out and it was just such an incredible moment of everybody was quietly you know just like oh my gosh there it is there it is and then it was such a good sighting that it gave us almost an hour show mm -hmm. and um I think that's probably in person that's probably the most delighted I've seen him I will say, though, um, the footage from you guys seeing the pygmy hippo is, I mean, it's up there, but I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were both pretty excited at that point, weren't we, John? Oh, yeah. We were. yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm going to ask this next question with a, a degree of trepidation, um, but it's all right. I've got a big mute button over here, and I, I went on to the chat AI bot um, and, and asked it to... <laughs> To, to, to answer the question of why it's wonderful to be married to a mammal watcher. Um, so if your voice suddenly turns into Alexa, then people know what's going on. But um, what advice could you give to someone who is um, either married to or the partner of someone who, shall we say, is 
very enthusiastic about mammal watching? Uh, first of all, contact me directly to join the Mammal Watching Widows Club. <laughs> it, it, is, it is unique in that I don't know a lot of people that I don't well, I don't know a lot of people that have a, that have you know their partner has gone a lot. Um, I would say come to some try some different mm, ground rules so that some normal life can exist alongside the mammals. I mean, it's not just the trips; it's all the time that it takes to research what's been seen on the trips and um, editing the photos. Uh, which there could be thousands um, at a time from trips and then writing a report and verifying species seen and then verifying with other people that were on the trip. So it's not just the trip itself. It's, a, it's the background work. I mean, that's really a labor of love and time, um, not only for John, but for the rest of us, you know, me and his kids who are just like, we're ready to go. And he's like, I just have one more thing to edit. <laughs> so I would say some, just some balance, you know, I've, he jokes about balance that I mention it often, but my advice would be just try try different ground rules, you know, see what works and what doesn't. Like one of ours is, you know, he goes on a trip. Um, if we're not together, then come home for two weeks and let's sort of get grounded again and taking a pause from editing and writing um, so we can spend some time together. Uh, now, you know, it's also important to speak up if, you know, you're getting to know your own comfort level with some pretty extreme travel in mm. certain cases, you know. Uh, so, for instance, one of my, now I know, it's take, it took a while to get there, but I'm, I know that I need running water every, at least every third day. Um, mm. That's my baseline. And knowing this, it, it, I, I think it makes it easier for you know, for John to be able to say, I think this might be a good trip for you to come on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't like, I don't like days and days of driving. I know that about myself now, but at the beginning I didn't, and I didn't always have a very good time. And it, it takes work in just finding things that work for you so that you know which trips you'd enjoy and your partner knows which trips you would enjoy as well. Right. Yes. I still remember one of the early trips that went on with, Lara and we had our daughter who was probably about a year old and uh, various uh, in-laws and my parents so came on this trip and, and I had planned it specifically around the mammals that I wanted to see on the <laughs> South Carolina. and we moved location every single night <laughs> for 10 days and um let's just say i was not the most popular person on the planet by the end of that trip um right. <clears throat> oddly enough i think it's the last time i've ever had to organize one of our trips together but, uh, <laughs> strange <laughs> also um traveling um traveling with the group it's nice to be able to see people it's not so often it happens but getting to travel with the same people on various trips like i you know when I was in the Amazon with John and, and Ian was there and Cheryl was there. That's where I got to meet Cheryl and Tanucci and Fiona Reed. And I mean, that was two weeks on a boat with people. And it was like one of my favorite trips. I mean, the mammals were amazing, but it was the whole experience of getting on, you know, canoes and just waking up. And I have no idea where I am in the world. I know I'm on the Amazon, but I have no idea. And there was something really fun about that. Mm -hmm. um, so be it say yes to everything at first and then you know figure out where your comfort level is and share that with your mammal watcher in your life <laughs> right right though you do make a very interesting point which to be honest I don't think we've ever discussed on the podcast which is that the the actual trip itself is only part of it and as you mentioned there is a huge amount of time that goes into actually planning it and preparing the travel and making sure you've got the right tickets booked and all the rest Jesus. of it yeah yeah Jesus. all that sort of thing um and then when you come back you know cleaning all the equipment checking the species writing it up um and of course for john it's much more so because he's got the website that he has to to run and make sure it keeps on going at the same time etc so um 
I think that's probably I, I, I see a podcast there in the future, John, where we uh, <clears throat> perhaps elucidate a little bit more on that. But yeah, that's, that's a very good point, Amber. But I do get to hear a, a lot about other people's trips and where they are and the same names come up, you know, quite a bit. And I feel like I'm sort of vicariously following along. But, you know, I have I have my own little business and I very much a full life of my own. Um, but it's fun to just see that continuous thread. And it's especially, I, I'm just so impressed and proud of, of John and you and members of the community that make, make this community and keep this community growing. Um, when I met John, he had like a really dinky little website. <clears throat> I think he'd agree with me. And I, start, you know, I used to be in tech and it's like, you got it. This is such important stuff that you're putting up there and you're, you're managing so much content that's coming in from all over the world. Um, it's gotta be better represented than that. So we spent a good two months, you know, just sitting at the dining room table, migrating it all over to what you see today. And, you know, even more exciting, there's an incredible version of the site that's coming up, you know, very shortly in the podcast and, all the new members and I love talking about this to people um, and encouraging them to submit reports even if they are you know a rookie because it is an interesting perspective and yeah that's yeah. How I see. yeah okay so um one one last question for you Amber um II aside I know the II uh sighting was was amazing astonishing crazy animals but um what has been your favorite mammal sighting lesser capybara the lesser capybara yeah that's a choice that, out of left field that yeah was, that one i was not anywhere on my horizon okay why that's the first the, the reason is is that's the first mammal that i spotted really yeah that's great yeah. and that was in what central uh is it, it must be panama something like that where was it yeah, in Panama. Panama. I mean, it wasn't just one you spotted, right? It was the one that I was looking for that you spotted. You spotted it for me. He was first. holding the binoculars, and we're standing on this landing, and I, you know, I just see something moving in the distance, and I can often be heard saying, "Is that what we're looking for?" <laughs> sure enough, there it was. <laughs> really invest in spotting. Um, there have been. At, you know, at night, basically looking for eye shine and whatnot. Don't be shy about calling out anything you see. The sooner that you spot the thing that everybody's after, the sooner you get to go back to camp and have like a cup of tea <laughs> and go to bed. Well, Amber, thank you so much for uh, your insights, just regaling us with some of the, your stories. Um, and particularly, I, I particularly like the fact that you say that when John sees a mammal he becomes quiet okay yeah. i i think that's uh, that's an important piece of information that the world needs to know about <laughs> <laughs> yes very important <laughs> thank you amber that was um i mean i think pleasure. some of your insights there that was it, it was almost like a freakonomics podcast for mama watching you had some you know, what really motivates kids to, and, and partners to look for mammals and what are the true costs of a trip beyond the actual time in the field? A very interesting insight. So um, thank you. And also thank you for your for continuing to be such a great brand ambassador for mammal watching. You really are. Thank you. You got it, babe. So one of our next guests is someone who I'm sure you'll know from his very entertaining trip reports. And that's Ian Thompson, who joins us with his family from his home on Vancouver Island. Um, Tracy Watchurst, Ian's partner, was along with Ian with me in Madagascar. She has travelled a lot with Ian um, and Mama Watch with him, as have his two children, Ben and Josie. And I'm hoping they're going to share one of my all-time favourite stories about mammal trips with the family that have gone ever so slightly wrong. Over to you, Ian, Tracy, Josie and Ben. Thanks, John. Maybe I'll set a little bit of context and then I'll turn it over to the, the family who will um, undoubtedly remember it more vividly than I do. So in the, um, 
the fall of 2013, uh, was looking for a, um, a trip for the upcoming March break and um, thought we'd go down to Guyana for a couple of weeks. Uh, it was one of the few countries in South America I had not visited. And um, there, there were a couple of interesting ecotourism projects that I was interested in, in seeing in the country. And um, so with great excitement, uh, announced the family were headed off to uh, uh, Guyana. We, we had our first couple of days in um, Georgetown and then um, decided to take the bus uh, through the country so that we could visit a couple of the uh, ecotourism sites on, on the way. And um, so we, we left uh, Georgetown about six o'clock in the evening and maybe I'll turn it over to someone else to describe the bus trip a little bit. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a micro bus and it fits you know, quite a few people, but it wasn't full. And I was kind of wondering why do they drive at night? I still don't know why they drive at night. And uh, so we took off and there was a folk festival outside of the city that everybody was returning. It must've been Sunday night and everybody, so there was a lot of traffic coming into Georgetown. And as we're driving out and the sun's going down, uh, a car unfortunately hit a parked truck that was full of debris and the passenger I think was killed. And But when the, the car hit it, it flung out and it hit our micro bus and our bus started teetering back and forth. And of course there's no seat belts and the kids are, you know, in front and behind. And anyway, the driver was amazing. He got the, the bus settled and we're all alive. And he took a tree trunk and he straightened out the window well, the wheel well, and um, we're all alive. And police came and took statements from various people. And then we're on our way and we were given a new bus driver and a new bus. And in Guyana, they stop you every hour or two, I think, and uh, pull you over and ask for ID. And, and we got pulled over at about one or two in the morning and we had to go into a police station. So we file in and there's the police captain behind a table and they're quite keen to have these tourists there. And uh, I look at the wall and there's this menu and it says prisoner's menu and it says breakfast at six and lunch at, you know, dinner at uh, 12 and, and dinner at 5.30 and then, and then you, there's a policeman standing there and then there's this door with a little window and you see these eyes peeking out and thinking, okay, that's the prisoner, obviously, who's gonna get his food. And uh, so we're beckoned forward and sat down and the captain's questioning us. And then he's like, welcome to Guyana. Like, it's a great start to our vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and as we're driving along, the driver then pulls off in the middle of nowhere and it's pitch black. And he said, I have to sleep now, I'm tired. I wasn't expecting to do this drive today. So he just, he turns off the engine and he <laughs> listens to three, what were the singers again? The whole night, he <laughs> is blasting mainly Celine Dion, but also some <laughs> Cheryl Crow. So for like, I forget how long it was, like 18 hours. It's just so loud. Celine Dion. Celine Dion in our ears. Like, cannot sleep anyways because of how huge the puddles are. Exactly. But, yeah. It, it was like swimming the whole night. And the kids would be like, can you turn it down? I'm like, no, he can't. He won't. And so when we finally got off the bus, we were all like, really happy. I thought we'd, we'd used up our karma. Like, traveler's karma done. We can't get into any more buses anymore. It was muddy. It was dangerous. Anyway, we, we did make it to the end of the road to a beautiful community-run um, uh, resort, and it was very, very cool. And I think, was that the place? Surama. Was it Surama? Yeah. The, the, the counterpoint to that is one thing I remember from that uh, bus ride is we were going through Iowa Crama Forest uh, about six in the morning, just at dawn, and there was a tapir standing in the middle of the road. And I just remember being jolted awake on one of these bumps and <laughs> looking up and seeing this tapir framed in the road for a second. And um, fortunately, that sort of blanked out all the memories of the, uh, the car accident and everything else for me. <laughs> had quite a memorable swimming experience there. And, and uh, I don't know whether Tracy or Josie, whether was you it, want to tell. Was it that day Ben went fishing with the guide? And what did you catch, Ben? Oh yeah, I caught a red belly piranhas and we ate them for dinner, they were so tasty. <laughs> so Ben had gone fishing in the river to catch piranha and our, I said, can the kids go swimming in the river? And, and yeah. And our, he said, sure, no problem. Yeah, our guide every night when it's pitch black, he had no flashlight. He'd be like bathing in the river. It's the Amazon and it's pitch black. He's bathing, makes it look easy. 
Anyways, so I remember Ben swimming, no problem. He just got in there swimming around. I didn't want to go swimming. I knew that there were electric eels. I knew there were stingrays, piranhas, you name it. Demons. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't want to go in. And after a lot of convincing, I finally go in with my brother and we're having fun. I'm forgetting about the piranhas. And then I see this really like cool looking log. I'm like, oh, what's that? I swim up a bit closer to it and then I start screaming and I'm like, it's an anaconda. And I knew right away because we had seen one a few days prior in like this kind of sketchy zoo. Anyways, I scream, I run out of the water. I go up back up to where my dad and the guide are. I'm like, there's an anaconda in the water. They don't believe me. They think I'm being a dramatic 13 year old. They're like, there's no way it's actually an anaconda. Sure enough, everyone goes down there. It is an anaconda, and we were swimming right beside it. Yeah. Well, and Ben isn't Ben still on the other side of the yeah. river at this stage? Yeah. yeah. Ben had clambered yeah. up on a rock. I had the camera. I actually took photographs of it. But the anaconda was very interested in Ben. Getting <laughs> angry and looking at Ben. Yeah. Like, Can I eat it? Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. We we had a couple of other sort of less than uh, optimal parenting moments at uh, at Sarama. The, the first night we're out doing a, a night hike and um, with the guide on the trails and the kids are scampering ahead to show how independent they are. And then all of a sudden they come running back with the most wide-eyed look I'd ever seen. And they're like, mom, dad, there's a really big cat. And we walked a little ways further and sure enough, there were fresh jaguar tracks in the crossing of the trail. And it was interesting because after that, the kids stuck much much closer to us for the rest of the trip. The, the, other, the other funny incident I remember from there is we were sitting uh, down by the river by the little uh, palapa at night and a, a snake popped out by the fire. And um, it looked to me like one of those, uh, I'm in Toby Sensua, a harmless snake. And so Ben said, um, Dad, can I pick it up? Because we'd, we'd enforce this strict rule that, you know, no picking up of snakes yeah. in tropical countries unless they've been ID'd first. It's my role, yeah. And I was like, oh, no, yeah, sure, Ben, you can yeah. pick it up. Ben picks it up, then I realize it's not the snake I thought it was. Um, and I made the mistake of unfortunately saying that out loud, not just keeping it inside my mind, which then engendered a comment from Tracy's about, you know, my lack of parenting skills. Some people might say it's amazing the kids are still alive and happy and speaking to you. Right? That's good. But I also think the, the other story... Um, I love is that the fact that you you are still smiling and talking to each other because Tracy <laughs> Tracy saw a Wolverine and you didn't, did you, Ian? And to make matters worse, Tracy's Instagram handle is Wolverine Watcher. <laughs> oh dear, that's below the belt. Come on now, we can't do that. Not sorry. There was really no need for that in my mind. <laughs> no. <laughs> The, the other memory I'm, I'm struck by on that trip is um, we were, we, once we'd gone back to uh, Georgetown, we did a day trip down to Kaitor Falls by plane. And um, we met a, um, uh, Canadian, a, mining a Canadian mining engineer who'd, um, who'd been on an eco trip, so-called eco trip in, uh, in Guyana. And I think you remember that better than I do because you were chatting with him. Oh, he just, he just said he was in this eco group and lots of young people. And so they were doing the same bus trip we did, the, the, the road across uh, Guyana. And um, he'd said there were a bunch of vegetarians and vegans on the, the bus. And the driver, when they, again, it's a nighttime drive. I don't know why they do it at night. So he's driving along. <laughs> they see a tap here. It's really exciting. <laughs> this guy stops, gets out, shoots it and throws it on top of the bed. <laughs> so all the vegetarians and vegans and eco-tourists are like, horrified. <gasps> <laughs> One guy was so apoplectic. He just like, he had to leave. Like <laughs> he flew out the next day. <laughs> Bit of a culture clash, you know? <laughs> yeah, not a country for the faint-hearted. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that was something that, that struck me a number of times there because it's really... Um, I mean, as a traveler, as a visitor, there's there's some fascinating experiences, but uh, some of the sort of rough edges of the tourism industry haven't quite been buffed off yet. And uh, uh, so I found it fascinating for from that perspective too. Yeah. Like, do you remember the um, the missionary couple that we met? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I felt bad for them. 
<laughs> we we were um, we were headed down uh, after Rewa. We were we were headed down to um, uh, another uh, lodge called uh, Mapaima Eco Lodge down in the south in the Kakadu Mountains, and um, we we got into Lethem uh, early in the morning on the bus, and I, I phoned our contact there, and he said, "Oh, we we weren't expecting you today." Um, uh, he said. You know we're we're in a bit of a, a situation because he said the the lodge that we used to have um, it's all falling down and so it's not usable anymore. But he said we could probably do a camping expedition. So I said, oh, you know we like camping, that's fine. He said, okay, take a cab to this um, this little village and uh, we'll we'll meet you there. Um, so we took a, a cab ride out to this village called Nappy and. Um, when we got there, I was, I was a bit disconcerted because I was expecting something in the forest. And in fact, it's a little village with the, the land cleared for miles all around and far off in the distance, you can see a little bit of forest. And um, so we met up with the chap there and he said, oh, he said, you know, our camping gear, the tarps and stuff, they're not good. It's going to rain. You'll be washed out. Why don't you stay in this little house here in the village? And um, um, while we were having this discussion, a, um, a missionary couple from the States had stopped by uh, with their two kids and um, uh, the, the chap who's organizing it for us sort of rushed off to find them alternate accommodation in, in the, the village. Um, we, we asked him, you know, in terms of transport, how we could get out to the forest. And he said, oh, well, you can go by, um, uh, by ox cart, but, you know, it'll probably be several hours to get out there and then you'll have to come back at dark. And we're sitting there looking at each other thinking, oh, Deesh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure this is what we're really looking for, particularly after having had such a great experience at Surama and, and Rewa earlier. So um, we packed it up and, and uh, headed back into Lethem hoping to get a plane out the uh, the next day, but in fact, we're stuck there for a couple of days, unfortunately. We did meet the uh, the, the American couple and their their kids a couple of days later, and it um, turns out they'd uh, stayed in the village and um, had sort of sat there looking at uh, somebody's wedding pictures for the entire day, and that had been their, uh, their <laughs> sort of, their eco experience <laughs> in the yeah. village. But, uh, sharing well, a bed, sharing a bed with the family. <laughs> yeah. Which again, I'm not sure is exactly what they might have been and expecting. Kids, one of their poor kids had motion sickness. I was just like, oh my god. Oh, <laughs> she no. was like on that bus with motion bus. sickness. Yeah. It's, she looked haggard, the poor woman. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it was brutal. Wow. <laughs> when we went to Kaichu Falls on our way back, um, a cab driver picked us up and he had been he had been a young man during the Jonestown massacre and he had a license. So he'd been hired by the CIA or the American government to help clean up. So we're mm. in this cab and this cab driver is elaborating on his stories of the, the Jonestown massacre with my kids in the car. And I'm like, this is so interesting. And this guy obviously has to unload. And I was like, I want to hear a story, but I don't want the kids to hear the horror of Toast Town. And it's just like, when is this cab drive going to end? <laughs> he said, going up in the helicopter and looking down, it was like a carpet quilt. It was amazing and horrifying at the same time. Oh, I'm no. like, oh. <laughs> it was brutal. What a trip. It was a good what holiday. A trip. You got good, obviously well, some good stories from it. Yeah. The, the, the funniest bit for me was when we, we came back to Canada and um, uh, Josie had a writing assignment, what I did on my March break from her teacher. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, she's writing about car accidents and fishing for piranhas and swimming with anacondas and all the rest. <laughs> and uh, I, I think the teacher actually called and yeah. asked whether this was, you know, a particularly disturbing, uh, you know, nightmare or something. And we had to reassure that no one, in fact, that had been our family break <laughs> vacation. In some countries, social services would have been around and yeah. taken them away. Exactly. <laughs> he, got off, he got off easily. <laughs> Josie and, and Ben, do do you get taken on quite a few of these wild family trips? Yeah, I'd say quite a few more when we were both living at home. Um, but Guyana was definitely the most dramatic. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Born in Borneo. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, done other 
like wildlife centric trips, but none with uh, car crashes. <laughs> that was new. Yeah. Yeah, that's a different twist, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But you're, no, Josie, you, you've just done a wildlife trip on your own. Your dad was telling me about um, Kangashan in Thailand. So waiting for the trip. Exactly report. a mammal watching trip. It was oh, come on. Don't you? It's okay. Your a friends aren't watching. in Southeast Asia trip, but did see some animals. You saw some, some, you saw two sun bears. You saw a bunch of stuff. I, <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, I saw two sun bears, saw porcupine, palm civet. Yeah. Gower? Gower. In the forest. Gower. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you said banded langur and dusky langur. Yeah, that sounds like a mammal watching trip to me. Sorry, right? yeah, really. <laughs> it's clearly a mammal watching trip. Five days in Kane Krachen, that's yep. a mammal watching trip. <laughs> definitely, right? right. You can you can plead the fifth on the rest of the activities, but that is definitely. <laughs> <mammal watching. laughs> so she kept sending us pictures of these beautiful beaches, and I said to you, "Finally, a beach you could swim at, and she can read on the beach and just relax." <laughs> It was a different vibe with me calling the shot. I kept calling them Josie's Beaches. Tracy claims we have the world's largest collection of family photos of kids on deserted beaches with no one else in sight. Kids swim to the bull sharks. Don't go in the water. What are you thinking? And Ben, what about you? Are you getting hankering to go off and do your own safaris now? Uh, yeah, I think I will. I haven't actually been outside the country since 2019 on a class trip to Russia, but I'm hoping to go to China decently soon. And then uh, I'm likely going to be taking a gap year and then I would love to go down to Mexico and oh, cool. maybe visit like, I don't know, like not a crazy mammal watching trip, but like there will, <laughs> there will be some mammal watching. Very good. This is the spirit. <laughs> Your father is beaming with pride from here to here, I can see. <laughs> and, and you know, China just today has opened up to the world. So, uh, oh. yeah, just, just read it. Ian, Tracy, Ben, Josie, thank you so much for those great, great stories about uh, and a, a, a memorable trip to Guyana. Yes, highly entertaining. Thank you very much. And our final guest today is Stephen Arthur, who is Cheryl Antonucci's partner. And they've been together for, uh, feels like a couple of years. Is that right, Stephen? Feels like a lifetime. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And Cheryl has made the, what may be later seen as a tactical error of not Mm. being on this call because she's at work. So Stephen has uh, carte blanche now to really talk about what it's like um, being the partner of one of the world's foremost mammal and primate watchers. And I know he's got some stories that I've heard from Cheryl. She's put her own spin on them for some of their trips, early trips together. But now is a chance for Stephen to spill the beans on, on the first, the first sort of pe- period of his, his partnership with Cheryl and some of the trips they've taken. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Welcome indeed. So Cheryl gave me some suggestions of things you might like to talk about. Um, and one of them, she said, one of the first trips you took was to a, to see some bats in a cave in Alabama. That yeah. everything was a bit strange. Would you like to talk about that? It wasn't. I mean, from the outset, Cheryl is a very unique individual. I think anybody that knows her knows that about her. Um, and she's always had a fascination with my demise <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we 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 drove from Virginia to somewhere in Alabama. I'm not even sure where it was now, but. Um, yeah, I was expecting to arrive at something like a national park with a parking lot, and, uh, you know, signs and things like that. But it wasn't. It was just a gate going to a pathway that led into the woods. And I'm like, this probably can't be <laughs> what we're supposed to be doing here. So, um, but yeah, that, that that was to look at. So I think there were grey bats. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we got in there. Um, Nobody else was around. I'm like, this is just kind of strange. But um, and also, I've driven there on my own because Cheryl likes to sleep. As you all know, she can hit the switch and she's sleeping during the the boring parts of any journey. So, um, but yeah, we got there and it was it was it was actually a really cool experience. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. But we 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 found a bunch of trees down and some film crew showed up. 
and they had no idea how to get their stuff in there and that uh, was just a, it was a mess so i was like i ended up clearing the path for everybody to get in and i'm oh, looking wow. at her going really <laughs> you guys <laughs> how do you survive <laughs> so <laughs> it was really cool and then uh but it, um yeah it, it, it was interesting to me that uh a lot of the people who were there were supposedly mammal watchers and, or animal watchers. Um, it just no idea how to get to where they needed to be, standing in the wrong place to look at them and stuff. So it was uh, it was interesting. And was it was it at this point that Cheryl realised you were a keeper, or do you think she got too um, much that already? Realised that yet? To be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> see when she hears this. <laughs> I think that might be the thing that made me a keeper was I'm a, I am actually an infrared thermal expert. So <laughs> I brought an infrared really? camera. She's like, oh, oh, this is cool. <laughs> I use them to look at buildings for leaks and stuff. But she's like, you can find stuff with this. That, that was our first trip. But I realized then that um, going on a road trip with Cheryl doesn't involve any conversation on the way there or the way back because she will be asleep. <laughs> Steve, can I can I ask um, when you first met or started dating Cheryl? Mm. How did it work? Did she sort of sit you down for the conversation and explain no, I, to you that you are going no. to spend an inordinate amount of time <laughs> standing outside Batcave? How how did she break it to you? Well, it wasn't really something that needed to be broken to me because we'd met years ago. And I, we've been friends on Facebook. I'd seen her try. I was always amazed. Like, where the hell is she now? You know. Um, and then we, it was only three years ago, I guess. We we kind of um, became a, an item. And um, yeah, so there was never really that discussion. I always knew that this is what she did, and uh, it always amazed me that she could do it. Um, I mean, she's away five times a year minimum. Uh, it's one of the things that attracted me to her. And, um, you know, so, so there was never that discussion. You know, I, I knew that's what she was all about. And I thought, okay, cool. So here we have officially being a mammal watcher is attractive to the opposite sex. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. We've got to have something, John. <laughs> we, we could be proud. Um, and another story, which Cheryl has mentioned to me several times, but I don't really know the story, um, is about looking for swamp rabbits, America's biggest rabbit. Oh, um, you're... you're- yeah, yeah. And uh, something about a picture of mine that, that it was annoying. It's, it's false. Your picture is false, John. <laughs> <laughs> now we went, I think it was to Missouri we went. Um, yeah. I can't keep track. I mean, the one thing about Cheryl is I can't keep track of where we're going next. But um, yeah, we went looking for swamp rabbits uh, somewhere in Missouri. And uh, they were basically stalking us um, around this swamp. And uh, it was, we were on a, like a, a boardwalk type thing. And then we turn around and you see a little, you know, rabbit butt disappear under them like they're hunting nuts. Um, and then we went to another park looking for them. Didn't see anything. Um, but I, I, that's my one claim to fame. I have two claims to fame over Cheryl. One is I actually spotted the swamp rabbit. She didn't. And two, I've seen a hedgehog and she's never seen a hedgehog. So. Oh, wow. So, but yeah, then that, but at the end of that trip, she showed me your picture of a swamp rabbit. And um, I think you'll agree, John, that uh, a swamp rabbit is defined by its name, right? It's a rabbit that lives in a swamp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So pictures of rabbits sitting in somebody's front garden. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the edge of a swamp and it just happened to be chewing that flower. <laughs> like a country western singer. I'm not by. I'm, I consider myself an expert having spent a whole six hours looking for them. So. <laughs> Um, and the last story I would wondered if you wanted to share was something about in Ecuador in the Napo Valley and Cheryl running off without you, not telling you. Oh, Ecuador was amazing. Um, it was <laughs> my first concern, and it always has been a concern when I go on trips with Cheryl's. I'm always at the back of the pack, like everybody else is out in front, and um, I'm like. And in the back of my mind, I always see the scene out of Jurassic Park when the Velociraptors get those guys in the field. <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, why am I at the back? You know, so, um, so yeah, um, that was first. But I actually made videos on my phone saying if, if I disappear, so hopefully somebody will find this message. Kind of thing. <laughs> and then, um, but yeah, 
I guess I'm not that I'm not that agile to move to where they see things or what have you, and they they, they dart off. And I'm talking to myself half the time on Tripler because she disappears. So. Um, but yeah, they her and the guide had seen something. I guess some kind of primate, and uh, all of a sudden I'm standing there. There's a snake on a tree, so I, me and the snake hung out. And I'm like, I have no idea where we've gone. I couldn't hear them. I couldn't see them. I was like, wow. <laughs> Just left on my own devices. So, <laughs> but yeah, that was a good trip. I enjoyed that trip a lot. And have you started to appreciate watching mammals now? There are so many different mammals, and many of them, let's face it, look fairly similar. You know, there's some mm. differences that to distinguish the species, but to to a novice, uh, you know, they pretty much look the same. Um, mm. But have you now started to enjoy it more? Uh, no, no, I've always, I've, I, I share, um, my hero growing up was David Attenborough, just like Cheryl. So I, I always loved na natural history and all that stuff. So it's not a huge leap for me to, to get interested. Mm. Um, but there are certain things that I'm going it's another groundhog, okay. <laughs> this one has a white tail. <laughs> um, but no, no, I, I, I enjoy, I've always been envious of her lifestyle because I'm like, I'd love to do that. I've always been paid to travel. Most places I've traveled in the world, I was paid to go it was for my job and what have you. But I've always enjoyed, I worked in Dubai, in the desert and stuff, and I've enjoyed watching the, light, the wildlife out there. So, um, so it's not a huge leap for me to, to enjoy what she does. You know, I think going to stores um, pre-trip has been an eye-opener for me when she's like, well, go find me something I can pee in while I'm sleeping in this tent. <laughs> <laughs> I've never gone shopping for that before. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, those are, those are the, 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 the I, I, I share her passion to a point. Uh, I've had to dedicate my life to the way that she has, but um, I'm very interested in all this stuff. So I uh, just wish you wouldn't desert me in the Amazon once in a while. And do you ever take any normal trips together? Are you trips that no. where you actually, no, no you don't. Okay, fine. We, we, do we haven't got time for that. You know, we're going to Utah, I think, for a squirrel. I don't know. I'll go, but just to keep the peace. <laughs> I bet it's the Utah prairie dog. Um, Could be. I'm guessing you should know, but yeah. <laughs> I was watching Amber smile in the background about the the line that we don't have time for normal trips. A sort of knowing smile. That yeah, we well, 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 we did go down to her, her favorite part of the states. I think is um, Alligator River, where all the black mm. bears go up. So um, I did manage to squeeze in. My interests are engineering, like planes, trains, all that kind of stuff. So we did get to go see the Orville Brothers stuff. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Stephen, thank you. That's excellent. Um, that was a great stories and um, good to know what happens behind the scenes with you and Cheryl. Thank you very much for, for joining us and Happy New Year. Yep. Happy New Year to you guys. Yeah, and I hope that uh, it, uh, you don't drive too much of a wedge between the two of you for you having seen the hedgehog and her not. So uh, good luck with that. I'm holding on to that little chairman. <laughs> <laughs> but given your uh, expertise with thermal images, there'll be a whole load of other mammal watchers in the queue if you ever do find yourself single. So, um, mm, can... <laughs> no. it's possibly, possibly including John and I. Yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to go that far. If you want some advice, just ask. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've been listening to Mammal Watch with Charles Foley and John Hall. You can find other episodes at memowatching.com slash podcast.